You know, last week we talked about the will of God, right? The will of God. And we said that even though in the English word, in the English word when we translate the word will, we, we just have one word. That's just the word will. But because the New Testament was written in Greek, so when the disciples wrote about God's will, they actually used two different Greek words. You guys remember what those words were? Anybody want to guess? Okay. The first word was bolima. The second word was thalima. Now, do you guys remember what they mean? Anybody want to take a guess as to what they mean? Bolima, what is that? Wait, what's that? Okay. Okay, our will versus God's will. Okay, okay, that's that's a good way to put it. Anything else? Anybody else want to take a shot at it? Bolima is the sovereign will of God, or in other words, it is the master plan that God has. And so when we talked about this, we talked, you know, I used two examples to talk about this, to talk about the birth of Jesus Christ, right? And also about the, the um, end of the, the, the world, you know, the judgment that is to come. And so the Bolima, when we talk about Bolima, when the Greeks talk about Bolima, the will of God, what they're talking about is the will in which we cannot change at all. Okay, so it is the sovereign will when there's absolutely nothing that we can do to change it, whether we accept it, whether we believe in it, whether we, you know, we care about it, whether we agree with it, you know, it does not matter. This will is going to pass. So this is God's master plan. This is God's sovereign will that, uh, that when we talk about bulima, that's what we talk about. And then the other word, thelema. Now thelema refers to God's desire will or his command did will towards us. And so Thelema is, when we talk about Thelema, is that it is God's will, but he gives us a choice within that will, right? And so we use the example saying that, you know, Jesus Christ, God, he wants everybody to believe in Jesus Christ, but he's not going to force us to believe in Jesus Christ. We, he gives us the freedom to choose as to whether or not we are going to believe in Jesus Christ. So that is the thelema of God. That is God's desire will. And then we, you know, we talked from John chapter 6, verse 40, we said that, that God's will, the Father's will, was Jesus Christ said. And this is, this is the thelema that Christ says, is that for everyone is to look to the Son. Everyone is to look to the Son and to believe in him so that we will have eternal life. Now, of course, this is the general will, the general will that God has for everybody, for, for all of us, for you know, every person to ever be in existence. And so today what I'm going to talk about is I'm going to go more into the specific will that God has for our own life, right? Because we've talked about the general will that God has for, the, for everybody. Now let's talk about the specific will that God has for your life. Just as the specific will that God had for Moses' life, God, um, God called Moses, his will was for Moses to be the one to go out and lead the Israelites out of Egypt, out of that bondage of uh, slavery, and to set them free, right? You know, God had, a speci- uh, God had a specific will for Noah himself. Noah's, the will that God had for Noah was for Noah to build the ark. And so God has a specific will for each and every single one of us within that, that thelema, within that bolema that God has 
um, the specific will for each and every single one of us. And it's up to us. It's up to us to try to discover what that will is that God has for us. Of course, as a pastor, no pastor can tell you what that will is. Okay, we can't tell you exactly what that will is. It's something that you will have to discover for yourselves. But one of the things that we can do is we can help teach you how to discover that will that God has specifically for you, specifically for your own personal life. And so as we reflect upon the the scripture here in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 through verse 6, we we see the characteristics of how Moses how Moses discovered the will of God for his own life. And even though after he discovered it, he came up with all kinds of excuses as to how he, 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 he's not worthy enough to carry out this will, and yet God provided everything for him as we, as we study the Scripture. We will see that God provided everything for him. Okay, even though he made all the excuses that he can't do it, God provided everything for him to allow him to be able to do it. And so the first thing we, that, that from this Bible verse that we recognize is that the first thing is that you must want to know, okay? In order for you to know what God's specific will is for your life is that you need to want to know. Very, very simple. If you don't want to know, you're never going to discover it. We see in here in, in Moses chapter, uh, here in Exodus chapter uh, 3, verse 3, it says that when Moses saw this burning bush, this burning bush that, you know, it was on fire, but it wouldn't burn up, this is what Moses says. Moses says, I will go over and see what's going on, right? He said, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why, why is it that this bush, why does it not burn up, okay? And it is in Moses' curiosity, and this curiosity that Moses had, his willingness to want to see what's going on, that God responded to him. And the very next verse, in verse 4, it says that the, when, when the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, then God called to him from within the bush. And so the first thing you need to know in order for you to really discover what God's will is for, is for your life is that you just simply, you just need to, you, just, you must want to know. You just need to have this desire to really want to know what God's will is for your life. If you don't have this desire, if you don't open up your hearts, you don't open up your minds to want to know the things of God, you're never going to know. It doesn't matter how many programs we may have here at this, this church. It doesn't matter how many different pastors we may send through this church. It doesn't matter how many leaders we, we, we elect in this church. We can, have the, you know, we can do all the concerts that we want here in this church. We can do all the events, all the programs that we want, all the fellowship times that we want. But if your mind is closed to God, there is nothing that we can really do. And so in order for you to really know the will of God, you really have to consider opening up your mind to God. A week ago, I went down to Fresno to meet with the youth. Um, they came together for a gathering of all the, the Hmong youth here in California, and they gave a testimony. And one of the, one of the youth, um, he's 18 years old, he just turned 18. His father used to be a pastor in the Christian Missionary Alliance also, And he stood up and he said this. He said that, you know what? I went to this youth camp and I discovered something new. I discovered that I needed to open up my mind to God. Because even though I was the son of a pastor, even though I grew up as a pastor's child, pastor's kid, all these years in my life, I've always kept my mind closed to God. 
And so no matter how many times my parents would teach me about the message of Jesus Christ, no matter how many times I would go to church and hear this message and hear people talk about Jesus Christ, I, I, I've just closed up my mind to him. I've just closed up my mind, and I just simply cannot understand. I simply just can't see who God was because my mind was closed. And by going to this camp, being among um, Many people his own age, he fin- finally decided. He finally decided, he said, to open up his mind to God. <clears throat> and by opening up his mind to God, he started to see the beauty that was in the message of Jesus Christ, the beauty that was in the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many times what we have done, what we have done many times is that we have limited our minds. We have limited our minds to the things of this world. We have limited our minds to, to the things that we can sense, the things that we can see, the things that we can hear. Many times we have limited our minds to the, the, the physical world. And so we have closed off our mind to the spiritual world, to the unseen, to the things that we simply cannot see. And yet, the, the, the reason why Moses was able to discover God's will for his life was because he was curious about it. He wanted to know about this. And so that's what we need to do in our lives, is open up our minds. Open up our minds to the things of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the, the Word of God says that the God of this age, okay, the God of this age, referring to Satan himself, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And many times the reason for that, what the scripture is saying, that the reason why we, or many times we have closed up our minds to God, we have closed up our minds to, the, to the, the things that are unseen, to the spiritual world, is because Satan himself has blinded us. He has blinded us and he has closed up our hearts, closed up our minds these things. And so it's very important for us to realize that the reason why many people close up their minds is because it is, it is something that Satan has a hold of. And so we need to learn how to overcome that. We need to learn how to overcome that to really open up our minds to, to God, to the spiritual world, to the world that is, total, that is unseen, totally unseen. And one of the things we need to recognize is that Satan doesn't he does not always tempt us with evil things. Satan does not always tempt us with evil things, but many times what he tempts us with is he tempts us with things that are so pleasing to us, that are very pleasing to us. And he does so to lead us away from God. He does so to, to, to lead us to close up our mind towards God. And many times we, we believe we are logical, rational people, and so we don't want to think about the unseen world because we see that as being irrational. And so we close up our minds to that. But, but we have to realize that one of the things that Satan does is that he does not always tempt us with evil, but he tempts us with things that, that brings pleasure to us, that makes us feel that we're not more knowledgeable than God, that we, we are higher than God, that we are exalted above God. When Satan himself did that in his own life, he exalted himself above God. And the many things that Satan brings to us are things that are pleasing to us. In 2 Corinthians, chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, the Apostle Paul says that Satan, he masquerades around as an angel of light. 
You see, many times when we think about saying, we think about this red guy, you know, this red creature with horns and, and a pitchfork and you know, with a tail and things like that, right? That's, that's how we think about saying in Western culture. But in the Bible, saying is something that is, saying is the most beautiful creature of God's creation. And the Bible, saying is the most beautiful and the most, you know, wonderful of all of God's angels, and, you know, when, so when he tempts us, when he comes to tempt us, many times he brings these things that are so, that brings pleasure to us, that leads us away from God. And we can see that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, in the temptation of Eve, uh, Eve in the Garden of Eden, we see that when Eve looked up to look at that fruit, what did Eve say? She said, this is pleasing to the eye. You see that? She said, this is pleasing to the eye. And so many times that's what Satan does. He gives us what is pleasing to us, what is pleasurable to us. You know, if, if you desire wealth, that's what he's going to tempt you with. If you desire you know, to be fame, that's what he's going to tempt you with, to keep you away from God. Many times we come up with all kinds of excuses. We can't come worship God because we're so busy doing all these other things. And sometimes that's what Satan uh, tempts us with. He just gives us so much to do in our own life. We become so busy that our minds get closed to the message of the gospel, that we close our minds to God. And so we need to understand these things. We need to see these things and not allow Satan to close up our minds. And we need to open up so that that way we can open up our minds, open up our hearts to the things of heaven, to the things that are unseen. And that's what Moses did when he walked over to that bush, when he saw that bush. And it was so strange that he wanted to know what's going on. So we need to, do, to be able to do that. We must want to know. The second thing is that we must empty ourselves. You must empty yourselves. And I told this joke here this morning to the Mongs back when I was a youth, a young person. We used to drive around, you know, when we go to a city and we used to drive around town, you want to know what a Hmong house is? Just look at the front door. You see all the sandals, right? If you go to a house and at the front door you see all these sandals, all these green, yellow, you know, black sandals that's by the front door. They, 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 They keep all their shoes at that front door. And so if you see a house like that, you know exactly that that house is a Hmong house. You know, because the shoes represents who you are. And that's in, in the Bible. In the Bible, that's what it's talking about. And when, when God is saying, Moses, you need to take off your sandals now. You need to take off your shoes now as you approach me. It's time for you to take off your sandals. That's what, that's what God is telling Moses, that Moses, Moses, you need to humble yourself. You need to let go of who you are. You need to let go of who you are in order for you in order for you to understand what I will be teaching you. And we read the scripture in, in John chapter 3, verse 30, when John the Baptist said, he must become greater, and I must become less. And as we approach God, that's the thing we must do, is we must empty ourselves. I remember you know, watching the movie with Jackie Chan and Jet Li, the movie um, The Forbidden Kingdom, made a couple years ago. And in that movie, there was an Anglo actor in that movie, and the, the whole point of the Anglo actor being in that movie was that he was supposed to carry the staff back to the Monkey King, right? So, I mean, that's, that kind of sounds funny, but yeah, he, he, <laughs> he had to carry the staff of the Monkey King because, you know, thousands of years earlier, the Monkey King got, you know, got turned into a statue, and so, but what he did was he, he cast his staff out into the, into the earth, 
And so uh, a savior, you know, somebody special was, was supposed to be chosen to carry that staff back to the monkey king to set the monkey king free so the monkey king can defeat all the evil in the world at that time. So that's, that's a story of the forbidden kingdom, right? And so in that movie, the Anglo character was the chosen one. So he was the chosen one to carry that staff back to the monkey king. And the monkey king was Jet Li, played by Jet Li. And... Uh, Jackie Chan was, you know, the, Jackie Chan was the one was, that was supposed to help this Anglo character carry this uh, staff back to the Monkey King. And so along the way, along the way, the Anglo character really wanted Jackie Chan to teach Kung Fu to him. He wanted to learn Kung Fu. But yet he, the Anglo character, he, he, likes, he loves to watch Kung Fu movies. So he knows all these moves and all these, these styles, all these different styles and things like that. And so when he was asking Jackie Chan to teach him, Kung Fu, he was telling Jackie Chan what to do, right? He was the one that was telling Jackie Chan what to do. He was like, you know, I want to, I want to learn this style. I want to learn this punch. I want to learn this kick. And he was coming with all these names. And as Jackie Chan was trying to teach him, Jackie Chan couldn't teach him because he knew too much, right? He had all these different ideas of what he had to do, and he wanted to learn as according to what he watched on TV, right? And so Jackie Chan said to him, you have to empty yourself. I can't teach you Kung Fu. I can't teach you Kung Fu because you know too much already. And you need to empty yourselves in order for me to be able to teach you. And that's one of the things about God, too, is that many times when we approach God, we, know, we just know too much. We just know too much, and we're not willing to empty ourselves. You know, we're not willing to just humble ourselves before God. And so no matter what God teaches us, no matter what God teaches us, it just doesn't go into our minds. It doesn't go, go into our hearts. And so that's one of the things that we need to remember is that if we want to know the will of God, that the first thing we must do is that we must want to know. We must have that desire to know. And the second thing is this, that we must empty ourselves as we come before God. And then the third thing is to remember that you are now on holy ground. Okay, the, the calling of God. God is not something that is, is of this world. He's not something secular, he's, but he's totally separated from this world. He is something that is sacred. And actually in the Bible, this is the very first time in which the word holiness is used to describe God was in this chapter. And when I think about this word holiness, you know, it's just, it's just something that is so foreign to me because, I mean, we, when we think about holiness, our idea of holiness is totally different from what God's idea of holiness is. Our idea of holiness is totally different from what the Scripture teaches us about holiness. You know, our idea of holiness is someone like, like Mother Teresa. Our idea of holiness is someone like Muhammad Gandhi. Our, our idea of holiness is someone like Buddha, right? For the Mongs, the, traditionally, their idea of holiness is someone like Shi Yi, who, who, is the, who is the master shaman. So those are our ideas of when we think about holiness, we think about good people, pretty much. People who are really, really good. And yet, the thing with the Bible is that when the Bible talks about holiness, there's nothing that is holy. The only thing that is holy is God. Even Jesus Christ himself says, no one is holy except the Father. Because as people, no matter how good we are, no matter how righteous we are, no matter you know, how moral we are, we always fall short. There's always something about us that causes us to fall short of the glory of God. 
And so when God talks about holiness, he's talking, he's talking about perfection. And there's nothing in this world, there's nothing in this world that I can take and say, you know what, this is what holiness is. I can't do that because there's nothing like that. The only thing, the only thing that, w- that can help us understand the holiness of God is to look at God himself. It's to be in the presence of God himself. So in the scripture, when it talks about holiness, it talks about being connected to God. It's always in connection with God. Anything that is apart from God cannot be considered to be holy. And we see God's holiness when we see when Moses, you know, when Moses was hiding his face. Moses had to hide his, to hide his face before God. He, he couldn't look at God because of how, how holy God truly was. It's just like the sun, just like the sun. We can't look at the sun. The, the longer you look at the sun, the more you're, you're going to go blind, right? But God is, such, God is so much more beautiful than that. God is so much more holy than that, that for us to just gaze at God, we would die. That's what the Scripture tells us. And so when we think about holiness, when we think about holiness, it is something, like I said, it is something that's totally just foreign to us. The only way for us to really understand this holiness is to understand that it must be connected to God. And so for us to understand the will of God is we must understand that we must be connected to him, that we are now on holy ground, and we must humble ourselves and be connected to God in all things that we do. So for, the first thing is that we must want to know. The second thing is that we must empty ourselves. The third thing is that we must be connected to him. We must be connected to him because we are now on holy ground. And the fourth thing is that you must be willing to pray. You must be willing to pray. No matter how good you are at preaching, no matter how good you are at administrative duties, no matter how good you are at leadership abilities within the church, no matter how, how, how wonderful you are, there's not much you can do if you refuse to be a person of prayer. John Wesley prayed. John Wesley was a man who prayed. Jesus Christ himself, he, he prayed often. He prayed a lot. He, he, he prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And every single time we read about Jesus Christ, we often see that he would go off by himself to pray. And so in order for us to understand, to know the will of God for our own lives, is we must be men and women who pray in our lives. A prayer must be significant in our life. It must be something that we do. We do. When we gather together in the church, you know, we must pray. When we come to song practice, when we come to choir practice, when we come to, to um, praise and worship practice, we must pray. Okay? When we have business meetings, when, when we have, you know, conferences, we must pray. It's something that we must always do. We must be a people who continue to pray all the time. Praying is talking to God. It is reliance on who God is. In prayer, we will find the power. We will find the power to know what God's will is in our lives. And we see Moses, that Moses was speaking to God in these these verses. He was speaking to God, and he even brought all of his excuses over to God, right? When God was calling him, God was saying, you know, do this, Moses. And he, he brought all kinds of excuses to God, but he brought them to God in prayer by speaking to God. And the first thing he said was, who am I? Who am I to go to Pharaoh, right? In other words, he's saying, God, I am not worthy of this. You want me, Moses, here to go to Pharaoh and to speak to Pharaoh, to let all these people go? Who am I to do this? I'm not worthy of it. And what did God say? God says, you know what? I will go with you, Moses. I will go with you. 
And then the second excuse he comes up with, he says, well, well, then if you go with me, what am I supposed to tell the people? What am I supposed to tell the Israelites? If I was to go to them, if I was to tell them that someone sent me, that, that God has sent me, who am I, what am I supposed to say to them? They, they, if they want to know what, the, what your name is, what am I supposed to say? So he's coming up with another, another excuse, and God said to him, just say that I am who I am sent you. That's all you got to say. And then he comes up with the next excuse. Okay, what if I was to do all of that and they still won't listen to me? You see? They still won't listen to me. What am I supposed to do? And then God says, okay, I'll give you three signs. The first sign is the staff turning into a snake. The second sign is the hand being put into his cloak. When he takes his hand, he put it inside his cloak, or his shirt. The minute he takes it out, you know, his hands is filled with leprosy. And then he can take his hand again and put it back inside his shirt, and he takes it back out, and his hand is healed. That's another sign that God provided for him. And then, you know, he's still saying, well, what if that's not enough? Well, God said, well, this is what you can do. This is another sign. You go ahead and just go take the water from the Nile River and put it on the ground, and the water will turn into blood. So God provided him with all these things, even though he came up with all kinds of excuses as to why he can't serve God. God provided him with all these things. And then he goes and he says, well, you know, God, you know what? I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of speech. I, I, I'm not really a good speaker. You know, when I speak, I don't really speak with authority. I kind of stumble on my words. I kind of stutter on my words. That's what he was saying to God. What am I supposed to do? These people are not going to listen to me. And you, you know what God said to him? God says, well, you know what, Moses? I will help you speak. And I will teach you what to say. And so even as he was bringing all these excuses to God in prayer, God was providing for him. And then his final, his final um, excuse to God was simply this. You know what, God? You've, okay, you, you're providing me with all these things, with all these things to help me. But why don't you just send someone else? Why don't you just send someone else? And that's the very final thing that he said to God. And God said, okay, you know what? With all these excuses, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send Aaron with you. Aaron will be your partner to go on this, on this, this uh, ministry, uh, to, to go and lead these people out of Egypt. And so many times we have all kinds of excuses too. When, <clears throat> when God reveals his will to us, we still have all kinds of excuses, but if we just bring those things to God, He will always provide for us. If we just go to God in prayer, God will always provide for us. If He has, <coughs> excuse me, if He has chosen you for something, if He has called you for a specific task, trust in Him. Know that He will lead you through it. He's not going to take you up to a certain point just to let you fail. God is not going to do that. He is going to walk you all the way through until you're finished with the thing that God has called you to do, with the specific thing in your life that God has called you to do. The last thing for us to understand is that we must become a vessel for God. If you want to know God's will, allow him to choose you, allow him to call you, allow him to use you as an instrument for him, for the things that he has prepared for you to do. If you don't allow that, you're never going to fully know exactly what his will is for your own life. And sometimes that thing that God has called you to do might be very, very difficult for you. 
It might, it might you know, cause you to have to sacrifice many things to God, just like what we're talking about the missionaries, how they had to sacrifice their comfort here in the United States to go to a third world country. And yet they're willing to do it because they're willing to become this vessel for God. They're willing to become an instrument in which God proclaims the good news through. And if you're willing to do these things, then you will discover exactly what God's will is for your life. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21, it says, Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes. Made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, God's promise to us is that, that those who wait upon the Lord or those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on eagles like wings. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You see that bush there, that bush there that God used to call Moses. That bush was on fire, but it wouldn't burn down. It wouldn't burn down. You know, when God sets you on fire, you will not burn down. God will provide you with the passion. God will provide you with the power. God will provide you with the fire in your heart, the passion in your heart to drive you to do his will, to drive you to to be able to accomplish the task that God has given to you, the things that God has prepared to you even before he created this earth. Even before he created the world, he has prepared something for each and every single one of us, and he provides that for us. He provides us with that fire. And with God's fire, we will not be burned. We will not burn down. Many people, they come to God, and they have this fire to do God's will, but, you know, many times they're not doing it based upon the will of God. And so the, the fire will consume them. The fire will burn them down. The fire will burn them down. But you know what? If you have God in your life, if you're connected to God, and God gives you this fire, this passion, the strength to do his will, you will never burn down. You will never be defeated. You will always be victorious as long as you follow God, as long as you know what his will is for your life. I, I have a pastor, a retired pastor, and, and, he, and he's, a, he's a close friend of mine. And unfortunately, right after he retired, he threw his whole family away and went to Laos to marry an 18-year-old woman. And so you see that when we have a passion for God, when we have a passion for God, but that passion does not come from a, being connected to God, we get destroyed like that. We get destroyed like that. But those who have the passion for God, but that fire comes from God, that fire is connected to God, that we will never be destroyed. We will never be destroyed. So the thing I want us to remember today, that in order for us to know the specific will that God has for our life, is the first thing is that we must want to know. The second thing is that we must humble ourselves, empty yourself. The third thing is that you must know that you are now on holy ground. So be connected to God. Be connected to God. You must be willing to talk to God in prayer at all times. And the last thing is you must be willing to be called by God, to be chosen by God, to become a vessel for God, an instrument for him to use. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your message today. We pray that it will inspire our hearts to continue to serve you and to do your will here on this earth, Father. We pray that it will be something that's useful for us to discover your will for us in our own personal lives. 
Father, let us be connected to you. Let us be the one. Let you be the one to provide us with the power, the fire, of the fire and the passion to do your will, so that Father, we will not be burned down, that we will not be destroyed, Father. And so, Father, today we lift everyone up to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray. Amen.